What is up, everybody? Welcome to Three Wide in the Middle of Your Home for All Things Racing with me, Thomas Brandon, and usually my man Keith Bradley. Keith, uh, not with me today. We've the last couple of weeks has been just it's been rough with scheduling and um keith and i have both been extremely busy with our day jobs and uh I, keith has been work i think he's been working like crazy nighttime hours and stuff so we had to change it from thursday to today this week because uh, i had a job yesterday morning super early so i wasn't going to be able to record the pod and make that job and so we pushed it to today and Keith not with me right now but anyways we're gonna go on with the show because we got a bunch of stuff to cover uh, I'm gonna be honest with you in terms of the NASCAR side of things I have only a few things that I really want to dive into um I'm gonna be honest with you uh you know Roval not kind of done with it I, it this car sucks on road courses it just does. There's no other way to put it. I don't know why we continue doing this shit. I really don't. It's it's so not hard to figure out. Right? Like this is really promotion, marketing, sales 101, right? It's really really simple. One of the things that I learned in the 10 years that I studied marketing and sales was you have to enter the conversation that is already happening in your prospect's mind. All right. And I'll give you an example of what I mean by this. Years ago, Chevrolet, I think it was Chevrolet or GM, right? Which makes and sells Chevys. GM discovered that it essentially cost 10 times more to get a Ford owner or a Dodge owner to buy a Chevy than it than it took to get a current Chevy owner to go out and buy a new or another Chevy right they're already predisposed to the message meaning they already like Chevys they already drive Chevys they already own a Chevy so buying another one right or after a few years buying a new one it is much easier to do that with a Chevy owner than it is to try and convince somebody else right a Ford owner a Honda owner a Toyota owner whatever to switch okay because you are entering the conversation right, for lack of a better phrase, that is already happening in their mind, all right? That, that's, that's essentially what you're doing, okay? Now, what does that have to do with what we're talking about, NASCAR and the Roval? The conversation that is already happening in everybody's minds right now is that the next-gen car on road courses sucks. The next-gen car on short tracks sucks. There's no other way to put it. It's horrible. It absolutely sucks. It sucks so much that we have redefined what a short track is, right? I mean, Dover is now considered a short track, right? Like they've redefined this stuff, right? We don't have restrictor plate tracks anymore. We've got drafting tracks. Well, guess what? Drafting takes place at any track basically bigger than three quarters of a mile, even at like a track at 
like Dover, which is a one mile track. Now it's high banked. It's very fast, right? The monster mile, but arrow is huge there. You were catching a draft there and dirty air plays such an effect on these cars that if you don't have multiple grooves to race, you're going to end up with this follow the leader type of situation. This is what we saw at the Roval. These cars are way too stuck to the ground. They're way too hooked up. And when you get someone like a AJ Allmendinger out front, you're not getting around him. You're not getting around him unless he makes a mistake. And he's too good. He's not going to make a mistake. He's just not. And the cars are way too hooked up. There's no racing that takes place. Think about it this way. This year's championship, okay, at Phoenix will most likely be determined by the last pit stop. Think about that. We've raced this entire year, right? I say we, but NASCAR. <laughs> NASCAR's raced this entire year. You've put in all this work. You've worked your ass off, right? If you're someone like a William Byron, right? You've got, what, six or seven wins. This last round of the playoffs, William Byron averaged what? A 1.6 average finish. He had a win in two second places. I mean, you're going to go into Phoenix and your entire season, whether or not you're going to win a championship, is going to be determined by a late race caution and who can get off pit road first. Think about that. That's nuts. That's absolutely nuts. That's not racing. Okay? That's not racing. To quote Denny Hamlin, that's Mickey Mouse. That is Mickey Mouse bullshit. And it sucks because these cars have really brought back the speedway racing, the, the intermediate, you know, racing. It's phenomenal. But I mean, Vegas, the last race at Vegas earlier this year was tough because the cars were so hooked up. The track was cool. Everybody, it was just right on the bottom and you were not catching the, you know, the Hendrick cars just dominated. Right. But. Normally, Vegas is really wide. It's multiple groups. It's rough. It's bumpy, right? It eats up tires. It's usually good racing. Next week's race at Homestead, you watch. Mark my words. It's going to be incredible because you can run the bottom, the middle, the top. Kansas always puts on a good race, right? These tracks that have got multiple grooves is where these cars shine. You don't have multiple grooves on a road course. You just don't. And now, next year, in the playoffs, we're going to have two road courses. One of them is the Roval, which sucks. And we're going to have two drafting courses, right? Drafting tracks with Atlanta and Talladega. Essentially, what you've done is you've turned four of the playoff races into a crapshoot. That's legitimately, it's, it's like spinning the wheel on roulette. And you're just crossing your fingers, hoping that it's going to come up red or black. And this last week at the Roval proved this yet again. The racing is not good on these road courses. And until NASCAR changes something, and I don't know what they're going to change because they've got themselves backed into this corner with this crap with the single supplier parts and, you know, turning the NASCAR 
Cup Series into essentially, you know, a, a Lego car. That's basically what it is, right? I mean, you get a, a box of parts that you can put it together. And these cars were supposed to level the playing field and cut costs. And it's still the same cars up front. It's still the same drivers. The cream always rises. You're never going to get around that. It's still racing. No matter what you do, teams are going to find a way to spend a ridiculous amount of money. We saw this with the car of tomorrow. You guys, for, the, for the, those of you who remember those pieces of shit, right? Remember the shoebox with the, the stupid spoiler on the back? And it, they were just horrible. And what happened? You had teams spending millions of dollars figuring out the best way to use a $2 bump stop. It, I mean, it was stupid, absolutely stupid. An enormous money suck. And we're going to see the same thing with this. If you've got an area that teams can spend money to find speed, it's going to happen. And right now, these cars are so, they're so fast. They're so close. You've got drivers who are separated by literally tenths of a second. And when they're that close, you're not going to see racing. You're going to see essentially what we saw this last week, which is follow the leader around the track. Maybe there's a caution, get a restart. Then we'll see chaos, that type of thing. Otherwise, you're going to get what we had this last week. And although I'm really happy to see AJ Allmendinger win, at the end of the day, in terms of entertainment, and that's what NASCAR needs to be if they really want to to keep this thing moving in the right direction, it sucked. Because if there was one thing this race was not, in my opinion, it was entertaining. All right, so we are going to hop straight into the dirt track recap. Um, like I said, with no Keith today, uh, hit or miss. I don't really want to be flying solo in the hit or miss portion of the show. Uh, but there's uh, not a whole lot to cover in the hit or miss. Anyways, the, the, the Roval, like we just talked about, wasn't very good. Um, you know, the, the final four for the championship in terms of the favorites really looks like, in my opinion, Byron and Larson Hamlin, which are three people that everybody was kind of picking. I think the fourth right now is Reddick. I think Reddick has really shown himself to be one of the cars to beat, one of the drivers to beat. Um, he looks destined for the final four. And, you know, to me, it's just... Well, it's like it's it's like we finally are getting to some real racetracks now. That's what it feels like. We're finally getting to some real racing before we get to Phoenix to determine the champion. And I think that's the worst track to do it at. So I don't know. I'm just I'm kind of frustrated right now with NASCAR. Um, and I understand that, you know, we've talked about this literally at at, at nauseum all year long. Um I understand that, you know, the next gen car and they, they got to, they got to figure stuff out and they got to make changes and it takes time. And I, I understand all that, but the fact that there doesn't seem to be anything even coming down the pipeline is frustrating. It really is. So 
let's uh, let's move on to something that is not frustrating, something that is absolutely incredible and fun, and that is dirt track racing, where my heart truly lies. So we had a bunch of action this last week. Um, first off, after the Tuscarora 50, which we talked about in last week's show where Brian Brown got the win, uh, we had the World of Outlaws at Port Royal over the weekend for the Nittany Showdown, and the All-Stars swept the weekend. Uh, Sunshine got the win on Friday night, and Zeb Wise scoring the win on Saturday night. Not only was that his first World of Outlaws win, but that was his first World of Outlaws top five, which is pretty incredible. Um, Zeb Wise has had a pretty insane year this year, if you think about it. Uh, he just scored his uh, first All-Star Championship. And he is really looking like one of the up-and-coming drivers, right, in terms of uh, talents. You know, he's only what is he like 20, 21 years old? He's really young. Um, I know that in, in racing age, you know, it's, it's not, not very young, but when you look at, when you consider the fact that, you know, Brad Sweet, for example, is in his mid thirties, right? I think he's 35, 36, uh, you know, Sheldon Hoddenshield's 30, David Gravel, you know, those guys, even someone like Kyle Larson, who's, you know, getting he's not old i mean it's not like kyle larson's 40 but but i mean you know he's finally you know who's been this young talent he's finally getting up there to where he's not just this you know young 25 year old kid anymore right like he's he's got some age to him so zeb wise he's this young and up and comer and he is really showing it yeah he you know got the got the all-star or got the all-star championship got his first world of outlaws win so it was a really really cool weekend um for the all-stars with the outlaws now this also um or i should say after this weekend also we saw david gravel really cut into brad sweet's points lead um you know it's really just a two-car race now i know mathematically we could look at it and we can say hey no um you know Macedo still has a chance to win. He does mathematically, but understand that you would have to see something pretty insane happen to not just Sweet, but also Gravel for Macedo to win the championship. It's really just between Sweet and Gravel. Uh, Sweet's lead now is only 68 points over Gravel. Um, both of them have had incredible finish or incredible seasons, and they're essentially the same um both have got 10 wins sweet has 39 top fives gravel has 43 sweet's got 58 top tens gravel has 55 so uh they're they're really really close um the only the the biggest difference is is gravel has had just a couple more um disasters i guess would be the best way to put it right where sweet is really really consistent even his worst nights he's still finishing in the top 10 where gravel he has you know a couple of those races every year where it's like he has to use a provisional or you know he's out there running in the top five and then something happens and the car breaks right 
and now they're they finished 23rd out of 24 cars so gravel has definitely improved his consistency this year i don't know if he's gonna be able to catch sweet though for the championship there's eight races left and essentially if you break down the points the way that they score the points um you know it's about 30 32 finishing positions right so if we looked at it based in based on one race uh gravel would need to be 32 positions better than sweet now over the course of eight races you start doing the math that's definitely possible but I don't see Sweet having a just dramatic meltdown. I really don't. So it'll be it'll be definitely something to keep an eye on um, as they head towards the final leg of the season. We've got um, the World Finals are here in a couple of weeks in November. This weekend, excuse me. This weekend, um, uh, tonight. Friday the 13th, they're at 81 Speedway. Then tomorrow night, they're going to be at Lakeside Speedway. Both of those are in Kansas. And then next weekend, they've got the Sprint Car Stampede at Devil's Bowl in Texas. And then after that, they've got a couple weeks off for until the um, World Finals, November, what is that? The first through the fourth. So, And that's where they'll obviously crown the champion. For both the sprint cars and late models. Oh my god, I'm yawning like crazy right now. I've I've maybe slept 15 hours over the last three days. So oof, gotta gotta wake up. Anyways, moving on. Uh Justin Grant got the win at Lawrenceburg, scored twenty thousand dollars. The the Lawrenceburg race. It was awesome to see Justin Grant win. It was a bummer to see Timez flip. Um, Meserol was fast. He was really fast. I thought he actually had a really good shot at winning. And unfortunately, it just wasn't in the cards. Um, that's obviously really disappointing for him. Um, Blue led what was it the first six or seven laps as well. I the the track was the track was juiced, man. It was fast, dude. Uh, which Lawrenceburg usually is. Um, I think Lawrenceburg is actually one of the more underrated tracks in the country when you consider just how fast that track is. Um, how you know the banking on it, the way that the track is. In a, especially when you talk about in a USAC sprint, but those guys are just on the the ragged edge. Um, Blue, you know, took off, had the lead, led the first out of seven or eight laps. Meserol threw a haymaker slider, got the lead. Um, he uh, he only led for a lap or two, uh, and then he just just flipped it. I I mean. <laughs> Uh, he basically caught the caught the wall with his rear just just overshot the the cushion hit the wall and just basically spun like a helicopter um flipped which is a bummer because 
I thought he had a car that could win, but also there was a $10,000 bounty up for anyone outside the top 12 in the USAC sprint points. So Meserol is obviously, he's not in the top 12 in the USAC sprint car points. So he had a shot at a $30,000 payday. Couldn't get it to, to, to work though. Um, and of course that opened the door for Justin Grant. Grant got the lead. And once he got the lead, he was gone. There was, nobody had anything for him. Um, he, he just, yeah, he was gone. Um, Baloo, I believe finished second. And, uh, I think, what was it? Yeah. Jake Swanson finished third. Now, Robert Ballou, of course, in his post-race interview, I guess, <laughs> um, said a couple things as, you know, only he can, uh, mentioning that, you know, every car out there, uh, you know, except the race winner has blistered tires. Um, you know, Justin Grant not only won, but he won by like, six seconds or so i mean he just he lapped all the way up to like seventh place or something he really just put it on him and of course as everybody remembers justin grant was popped for tire doping last year with the extreme outlaw series and so blue with the little jab there obviously you know we haven't heard that justin grant failed a tire test this time around obviously everything's fine um got the win but baloo yeah just doing what <laughs> doing what he does uh poking the bear and getting a rise out of people so i i thought it was hilarious and <laughs> and uh yeah so Please forgive my phone there as I get called by spammers at 6.30 in the morning Pacific time, assholes. All right, moving on. Staying on the USAC side of things, USAC sprint car side of things, Dave Darland um, has announced his retirement. This obviously is pretty much, I mean, everyone's known that it's been coming. Um, his last race will be tonight at Kokomo, I believe. Um, you know, it, when you look at the career that Dave Darland has had, it's been insane. Uh, he's one of only seven drivers to win the USAC Triple Crown, but meaning, you know, Sprint Car, Midget, and Silver Crown. Uh, won the Silver Crown title in 97, the Sprint Car Crown in 99, and then he won back-to-back -back Midget Championships in 2001 and 2002. Um, you know, when you look at the drivers who have done that, it's Dave Darland, Poncho Carter, Tony Stewart, J.J. Yaley, Jerry Coons Jr., Tracy Hines, and Chris Windham. Um, that's kind of a who's who's list when you look at USAC racing. So, I mean, obviously, Dave Darland, you know, they call him the people's champ. It's for good reason. The The man is awesome. Uh, he's, you know, 62 sprint car victories. Um, which is insane. You know, he's got 115 total USAC feature wins, which is also insane. Um, 30 with the midgets, 14 with the silver crown, 
you know, he's had over 1,300 national USAC starts, which is just ridiculous when you consider that's so much racing. Um, almost 800 of those in the sprint car, 797, 336 with the midgets and 201 in the silver crown. Um, you know, it's, he's just, he's obviously, like I said, they call him the people's champ, 42 years of sprint car racing. He was inducted into the sprint car hall of fame a few years ago. The dude is just incredible. Um, and it's sad to see him go. Uh, it really is. Um, you know, if you look to me, I always love these these guys, and it's sad to see him go. Um, because to me, they are what epitomizes dirt racing. When you look at you know a Dave Darland. Or I, you know, Kenny Schrader is, a, some, is somebody that I always talk about as well. These guys who, they're just, they're race car drivers. And, you know, they race on dirt. And every weekend they're out at the track racing. And it's just cool to see. And when you're a kid, you know, running outlaw carts or mini sprints or whatever it is, right? Quarter midgets. And you're growing up and you want to be a professional race car driver. You know, there's some, you know, most of us when we were kids and we were running, when we were running outlaw carts, you know, there was a couple who were like, oh, I want to race in NASCAR. Mostly it was just like, man, I just want to race dirt for a living, right? Like if I could just race dirt for a living, that would be amazing. And these guys got to do it and they got to do it for a very long time. And it's just, to me, it's the coolest thing to see that you have someone like Dave Darlin who can actually retire, right? He's retiring and he can still do it, right? He's not retiring because he got into a wreck and got hurt. He's just too old and arthritis is taking over in his hand. Right? And it's, it's nothing like that. Like the dude, if he wanted to, he could come back and race next season. He could. But he's done. He's hanging it up. It's time for his family, as he said, you know, and he's he's done enough and he, he wants to ride off into the sunset. And to me, it's incredible. And we don't, unfortunately, have enough of these types of stories in dirt racing, at least that are known. Right. Um, you know, we hear about stuff like this in NASCAR, but for the most part, you know, in dirt racing, we don't we don't hear about too many of these guys. Right. We don't get a lot of the the Steve Kinzers and Sammy Swindells and, you know, the Dave Darlins and that type of stuff. These guys who, you know, have these really long, illustrious careers and are incredibly successful. And then they just kind of ride off into the sunset at, you know, still at not the top of their game, but, but still good, still really, really good. So happy to see that he's getting to close the book, you know, close the, this chapter of his life on his terms. That's awesome. Um, still sad to see him go because yeah, it's, I, I was always a big Dave Darlin fan. I don't know how you could like USAC sprint car racing and not be a Dave Darlin fan. So yeah. So happy trails, Dave Darlin. Uh, we will definitely miss you. So moving on, um, to the late model side of things last weekend, Bobby Pierce, once again, continues his incredible season. Uh, with the Outlaws, scoring his 13th and 14th 
Outlaw Series win of the season. He got the, first of all, Friday night got the win at Brownstown, then Saturday night got the win at Fairbury. Um, Pierce is just, he's been incredible this year. You know, he's going to win the Outlaw Championship. He's probably going to win the Flow Racing Championship. Uh, he's been just on a tear. Um, whatever they have figured out with that car um, and him, I they've just, they've really just hit the nail on the head this season. They've been incredible. So hats off to them. They got the um, Outlaws, the late model Outlaws. They've got, uh, what is it, Sonoya and Rome, I believe, this weekend. Yes, and then they're done until the World Finals. So after this weekend, they're going to have a couple weeks to get ready for the World Finals. Um, Rico got the win in the high limit race at Lincoln Park. This was the season finale. Rico grabs the win. Larson wins the championship. Essentially, as long as Larson finished in sixth place or better, he was going to get the championship. He did. Um, Rico grabbed his fourth win in the last five races um, with high limit. Uh, this was really a two driver championship this year. Um, you know, at the start of the season, I believe there was like 26, 27 drivers who had declared, you know, full time. And, you know, really at the end of the season, there was only like seven of them who had ran every race. So when it was all said and done, it was just a two horse race for the championship. Kyle Larson ended up on top beating Rico by seven points and third place. You had Corey Eliason. Fourth place was Justin Peck and fifth place chased Randall in the final standings. So. Congrats to Larson. A um, lot of stuff happening with the High Limit Series. You know, there's a lot of news out there right now. We heard about, I mean, really, it's been since probably the start of the of the year. I mean, we've heard about um, Tony Stewart talking about selling the All-Star Series. Um, there's been a lot of talk about High Limit acquiring the All-Star Series or merging with the All-Star Series. High Limit is talking about increasing their schedule, um, you know, not just running midweek races, but also running on the weekends. I don't see how this would work if they don't merge with the All-Stars or acquire the All-Stars. And what I mean by that is this. The world of Outlaws, okay, when you look at the Outlaws, and for all the complaining that people do about the, the World of Outlaws series, at the end of the day, it is the top dirt series in the world. Okay. It, it just is. There's no, you cannot question it. When you look at the money that they put up. All right. Um, especially in terms of the points fund for running the entire season, 
it, there, there's nothing else as close to that. Okay. So it's, it, they, they put up the most money. Now we can talk about the, the 10,000 to win shows there, you know, that that's gotta be raised. And in my opinion, it absolutely does. You cannot keep, you cannot continue to run, you know, your regular shows at just 10 K to win. It's gotta be higher. And we'll get more into that here in just a minute. But on the outlaw side of things, you know, it's really the, the, the top dog. If you've got the all-stars, which, you know, the all-stars is kind of, it's become kind of the minor leagues is, is one way to look at it, which is not to take anything away from those drivers. But when you consider that it's less races, the travel is less, it gives drivers like you look at someone like Zeb Wise or Tyler Courtney, right? These guys who have come up. And they're running the All-Stars. Macedo ran the All-Stars. Sheldon Hodenshield ran the All-Stars, right? Rico's run a lot of the All-Star races. It gives these guys the opportunity to get on the road, run a bigger schedule, run a lot of these different tracks, right? Run at a higher level, still put up, you know, good money. And it's kind of a stepping stone into the Outlaw series. So it it's a really, really good series to have it is um although it's not tied to the outlaws it's it's become almost like this you know defunct minor league system and if you have the all-stars the world of outlaws and high limit now all trying to run on weekends with bigger shows and it's going to become I think you're going to, they're going to cannibalize each other. They really are. I don't know how you can do that. Right. Um, you know, for, and everyone's talking about high limit, like they're going to come in and they're just going to like dethrone the outlaws. And I don't think people understand what it takes to run a series like the world of outlaws, right? If you, if you wanted to make high limit that now high limit for their first season was very, very good. And Brad sweet knows his shit. Okay. A lot of people act like sweet is just kind of him and Larson are just like the face of it. Brad sweet is, he really is doing a lot of work behind the scenes. And you guys keep in mind, Brad sweet has been, involved in promotions and stuff like that for a really long time. He's promoted outlaw races at Placerville. Obviously him and Larson and Colby Copeland bought the um, Silver Dollar Speedway. They helped kind of reestablish the Gold Cup weekend as really one of the premier events when it had really lost uh, a lot of its shine over the last decade or so because it, had, it, it used to be this big, huge deal. It was the race to win on the West Coast Swing and it had really fallen off. And they brought that back. So don't think that Brad Sweet's just like some, you know, figurehead of this series. He's really involved with it. And these guys have got to know this, right? In order to get your series, when you start talking or looking at it being on the same level with the world of outlaws, I mean, you're going to need, you know, I would say at minimum 65 races, right? Probably closer to 70 or 75 over the course of the year you would need to have 
a legit list of drivers who would be committed to running the entire series. All right. And I don't know how you would work that in terms of the drivers. Would you make it, would you have them be like the outlaws where it's like, Hey, look, man, if you come and run high limit, you we're going to give you four races and that's it. See, I think that's one of the dumbest things that the world of outlaws does is make these guys, you know, lock these guys down like this to where they can only run the outlaws. I get it. The whole, you know, you can have X amount of races and still maintain the package and stuff like that. But let these guys get out there and race. I think one of the reasons why we're seeing this pushback is because of that fact. You know, if these guys could go out and run more races and take a shot at the money, because the same thing happens regardless in terms of the points. Right. And I get the outlaws, but that's what they're worried about. They're worried about getting down to this season. You've only got a couple of drivers competing for the points championship. And so the drivers are just not going to want to show up. And that's not the case. Sprint car drivers, lay model dirt drivers are going to show up for any race where you put money up. Okay. They just are. So you've got to, you've got to get those drivers, you know, legit drivers committed to your series. And that will allow the tracks that you get on your series to promote those drivers that they're coming. You gotta, you're gonna have to have some kind of points fund that is at least competitive with the outlaws, right? The outlaw points fund is is pretty legit, man. When you look at the champion, you know, basically a couple hundred thousand dollars to win the championship. Uh you know, tow money, right? Like you, you're going to need to pay that if you're going to be wanting to travel all over the country. Um, obviously high limit, you know, all stars is a little bit more regional, but I mean, if you're really wanting to, to compete at that level, you're going to have to pay those guys tow money. You're going to need full-time officials, right? That, that are out there working consistently right because that's one of the things that the outlaws do that is so um good in the sense that they have consistent workers who are working the track who are preparing the events right everything is consistent so you've got to have those employees you got to have those workers and The crazy thing is, is that we already have this series called the world of outlaws. You see what I'm saying? Like you essentially need to, you need to compete with the outlaws. You need to create a series that's like the outlaws. And we already have that. We already have that. Now I'm all for competition. I really am. And I remember when we i remember during the early 2000s right late 90s early 2000s i remember we saw kind of this this cannibalization of the dirt series right with you had the outlaws you had the all-stars you had the you know at that time the outlaws were also running the gum out series if you guys remember the gum out series back in what was that 2001 to 2000 
2003, 2004, I think. Um, and the Gum Out series was was really cool. I think that would be better having a series like that than High Limit trying to take the next step to to challenge the world of outlaws. You know what I mean? I just I think it would be better for them to do more of a gum out type series than trying to be the next national tour, right? The tour. So, you know, we have it on the late model side with the Lucas Oil dirt late model series and the um the World of Outlaws late model series. But when you look at late model racing and what those guys can do, it's their their situation's different than the sprint car side of things. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. We're going to just have to wait and see because for all the rumors that we're hearing about High Limit buying the All-Stars, there's been nothing concrete. You know, it's it's just been hearsay. And until we get some news that says, hey, this is happening or this is not happening, uh, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know what what else to say, right? Because there's it there's just too much that's in the air and too much that's, you know, that is that falls under that whole potential, right? The maybe aspect. So we'll we'll see what happens but the reason why i i go through all of that is really because we've had the the conversation of cost and money has been constant really the the entire year now keep in mind money has always been a a focal point in the world of racing because racing is auto racing is expensive it's it's just expensive. If you want to see the absolute just insane ridiculousness of like costs in racing, there's a video on I want to say YouTube um where where they show how they make a single like how just like one bolt one bolt on the Red Bull F1 car what they go through to make that bolt right just one single bolt on that car and i mean it's created from scratch right it is created from scratch there's nothing on those cars right it's it's insane well obviously dirt racing is not that crazy but it can be right it can be we talked about it when we were talking about nascar any time that you have an area where people can spend money to find speed that's going to happen now one of the best things about dirt racing is that you can't engineer it and what i mean by that is this NASCAR, these guys are using sims and, you know, data and all this stuff. And you got these teams of engineers and they're coming up with the setups and doing all this stuff before the cars ever even get to the track. You can't do that in dirt racing. 
You can't. Experience is what matters, right? Knowledge and experience. And you can get to a track and it could be a track that you race at every single week. And next week, it can be different. There could be a a hole where it wasn't before. The cushion could form differently. There could have been rain that came through during the week and soaked the track. And now it's heavier and tackier than it usually is. I mean, there's so many different aspects to it. And you cannot engineer that. You can't engineer the car to to deal with that because you don't know what you're getting. I talk about it, tell stories all the time of walking around the track when I was turning wrenches on sprint cars and midgets. Walking around the track, I had a, a this screwdriver. It was a really long Phillips screwdriver. And essentially what I did was I the end, the, the Phillips head, I had essentially just filed that to a point. It was almost like a really long ice pick, except it wasn't as sharp. And I would walk around the track and I would stick that thing into the ground and I would see how far it would stick in till I hit hard pan. And that would tell me how much moisture is in the track at those points, right? I would always check the top, the middle, and the bottom. And I would check it at a couple of different spots and walk around the track and do that. And that would let me know, hey, this is what we've got for in terms of moisture. Another big aspect was what cars are we racing with tonight? Right? Believe it or not, street stocks, for example, are really good at bringing moisture up out of the track. If you've got a lot of moisture that's that's in the track, street stocks will actually bring that moisture up throughout the night. Where if you're running sprint cars and midgets, they're just going to blow it off. So all of those factors are really, really important and having people who can figure that stuff out and then tune your car to handle that is critical. And even though we don't have the engineers, right, that NASCAR has, there's still a cost with dirt racing and that cost is a lot. It's not cheap. And... Sean Martin had a post that really sent, you know, the racing world kind of in a frenzy, the dirt track racing world in a frenzy, because he talked about the cost for a top, you know, like a, like a national touring event on the, on the dirt late model side. And what he said is, is here's a hypothetical, here's a hypothetical to race night. He said, uh, these are not exact team specifications, just a model to show the reality. So if you have a 40 lap feature, two hot laps, two time trials, eight lap heat race, um, you have two employees that average 6K total a month. He's like, assume you race eight times a month, twice a weekend. Assume the driver gets 35%. The race pays 10K to win. The cars, motor, and hauler are assets. Okay, this is that's important. All right, remember that. Their purchase is not accounted for in the nightly cost. Think about that. The car, the motor, and the hauler, their purchase is not accounted for in the nightly cost. So we're saying, hey, man, we've already got the hauler, we've already got the motors, and we've already got the cars. Keep in mind, a car, like a, a roller, if you want like a, you know, a good late model, you're looking at fifty-five dollars to $65,000. Just for the car, 
That's not even the motor. The motor is going to be another $50,000, $60,000, and you need a couple of them, right? You need more than one motor. You're going to need at least, at least bare minimum two, probably more like three. On the car side of things, same thing. The way that we would look at it is, is when, if we were going to go, you know, big time racing, right? Tr like, you know, traveling on a, on a tour. Cause we actually looked into this when, when we were doing the sprint cars and stuff, essentially what we had to have minimum, right? We had to have a truck and a hauler, obviously, but in terms of the, the parts and the cars and stuff like that, we would need a primary car complete, right? That's car and motor. We would need a backup car complete. That's car and motor. We would need another spare motor. So a third engine. And we would need enough parts, spare parts to assemble another complete car. Okay. So that was what we had determined. Like at minimum, this is what we have to have to go run with this tour. All right. So essentially, you're looking at three of everything at minimum, three of everything. Okay. And they're not even counting that towards the costs. All right. So uh, he said, we add a $300 a night for maintenance to the parts for replacement and service. Okay. So here we go into the costs. Average diesel fuel per trip, one way, $375. Laps on the motor. It is $13.75 a lap. That's what they calculate. Okay, that's a that's a that's a rough estimate, but it's $13.75 a lap is what it costs them roughly. Folks, even if you round that down and you say it's $10 a lap. All right, if you have 52 if you're running 52 laps, right, considering you got the feature, a 40-lap feature, qualifying, hot laps, heat race, all that stuff like that. That's over $500 a night. That's us rounding it down to 10. If you look at it in terms of $1,375, that's over $700 a night just on the motor. That's just the motor, folks. Just the cost of the motor, the maintenance and service on the motor. Racing fuel, $100. Four pit passes, $160. So obviously you're looking at you, you guys working on the car, that type of thing. Equipment rotation and service, $300. Tires for your race car at $215 a piece. And you need at minimum six tires a night. That's just under $1,300. Payroll. This is a random assigned value is what he says, but Roughly $350 a night at the track. The driver percentage, their their percentage their, their, of the purse is 35%. So if you do a 10,000 to win race, so 10,000 for first, six for second, 3,500 for third, down and so on and so forth. All right, a minimum $1,000 to start. Let's say you finish third. That's $3,500 in prize money. And you hurt nothing. It's a perfect night, right? You finish third. You don't break nothing. Everything works. Nothing gets destroyed. All right. $3,500 times 35%. Because remember the driver gets 35%. The drivers are going to get take $1,225. All right. So after your 
your laps on the motor, $715. You've got the $1290 for tires, $100 for fuel, $300 for equipment and uh, services, $400 for diesel, $160 for pit passes, $350 for payroll. The total cost for you to run third as a car owner is $4,540. And once you take out the prize money, you essentially lost over $1,000 to run third at a national touring event. Think about that. These late model teams are spending $750,000 to a million dollars a year to, to run, to operate. He says at the bottom of this post, when I said that 38 cars came to Atomic, there were two winners, one break-even car and 35 losers. He's like, you see what I mean with this illustration? So the people who keep saying that the super hauler is the problem or the people who buy new motors or have multiple cars are the problem, I'm not even accounting for the purchase of the equipment or any of those necessary expenditures. He goes, if you have a line item sponsor that can help reduce the line items above, that moves the margin in your favor as the owner. But essentially, you are in the red as a car owner. You have to have major sponsors if you're gonna, if you're going to overcome this. And this is why we have seen so many drivers pushing back on this increase with the purses the outlaws have been paying 10 grand to win for 20 years 30 years right i mean essentially since they started you can't do that anymore you can't in my opinion it's got to be a minimum a minimum 15 grand to win for these national tour races it's got to be a minimum 15 grand to win 15k to win you know 2500 to start you can't do 10 grand to win 1000 to start. You just can't do it. It's not enough money. You can't do that and expect these guys to commit to running your series. You can't do it. Especially when you consider the fact that these top guys, these top teams, they're running 80, 90, 100 races a year. Think about the, the start of the season at East Bay down in Florida. These guys, the East Bay's paying 5K to win. For what is considered a big event, this is what kicks off the season, right? This is the start of the year. This is what's getting it going, 5K to win. That's a joke. That's an absolute joke. It's why we've seen a series like High Limit come into the fold because you've got guys like Kyle Larson and Brad Sweet who are saying, hey, man, we got to put up some more money. And High Limit was able to do that this year. And from what I heard, obviously I have not seen their books, but from what I heard, every race but one, they made money. Okay, when I say they make money, I'm talking about the series. They didn't just opposite, they didn't just um operate at, at a deficit all year long. They were profitable. That's huge because that means you can put up bigger purses and have it work. Now, obviously high limit only ran, they had 12 races scheduled. And I think they only ran 11 of them. One of them got rained out. So, you know, doing that with 
more races on the schedule. Is that feasible? I don't know, but high racing is going to be, or high racing, high limits going to be the ones, in my opinion, that shows us whether or not it is. And big news, we just found out that the Chili Bowl has increased its purse, which is a big deal because if you look at all of the stuff that was said last year, the guys who missed the race, um, you know, the whole, hey, the, this this event is huge, 10K to win. You know, it's got to be more. And when you consider the fact that, you know, you've got almost 400 cars showing up, this thing goes on for, it's basically what, five, six days of racing, right? It's, a, it's essentially a whole week of racing. Uh, you know, you, when you've got that many cars, if you're the final, you know, you make the feature, you're one of 24 cars, you, you got to be racing for more than 10K and a golden driller. All right, you just you've just got to be getting more than that. So they've increased it to twenty. They've also increased the laps led um, bonus. They've also increased the prelim night. They've increased that to three k to win three hundred to start, which I think is definitely a step in the right direction. And it's good to see, and we need to see more of it across all of the dirt racing series, especially the top ones. Right, we've got to see more. USAC's got to be putting up more money for these guys. You know, I you're, you're seeing more and more of these guys going wing racing. Well, it's because they can't make any money running USAC. They just can't. 5K to win, 4K to win. Are you kidding me? Those costs that we just went over for that dirt late model team, guess what? On the USAC side of things, it's damn near just as much. Think about going out, spending the money, and starting a team. And then you go out and you get Jonathan Davenport for your late model team. Or you get Justin Grant for your USAC team, right? Or Brad Sweet or David Gravel for your outlaw team. And you're paying them because they're the best in the business and you want the best. And you've got the best equipment. And you've got sponsors. And you're out there racing and they're scoring top fives and wins and you're still losing money. That's insane. We've got to see these, these uh, purses increase. We've got to see them increase. I'm not saying every Tom, Dick, and Harry needs to be able to, to live off what they make racing at the dirt track. That's not the case. It should be like any other profession where the top is doing well, right? The middle is doing okay, and then everybody else is, you know, got got to work hard to just to get by because that's the way it should be, right? Should it should be like any other professional sport, right? Not everybody can be LeBron James, or you know. Giannis or Kobe or Michael or whoever, right? Name your athlete. But when the top guys aren't even making enough, the top teams are are barely breaking even, that's not good. So hopefully we'll get some news with what's going on with the whole all-star and high-limit thing. Um, because I do think a shakeup is in order and I think it would be good to see and seeing the chili bowl increase its purse, you know, seeing this increase in money and more of it 
coming to the drivers, I think is a good thing. And if we can continue to see that, I think it will improve the sport as a whole because the costs are not going anywhere, folks. It's not. It's only going to continue to get more and more expensive. And racing will never stop because it is an absolute disease. It's a sickness. My wife asked me a little while ago, so how come you love this so much? I said, it's a sickness. I go, it's a disease. There's no cure for it except racing. I go, it's the one addiction that you can't wean yourself off of. There's no way to get rid of it. You just, you've, you've got it. You've got it and your only fix is racing. So it's not going anywhere. And costs are definitely not going anywhere but up. So hopefully we can see some good changes in the dirt racing world. Um, you know, continue to see purses go up these series. We don't want them to cannibalize each other. It'd be nice if we got to see everything work together. That would be awesome. I don't think we'll see that, but it would be nice to see. And that would, you know, improve the sport as a whole. And, you know, hopefully it will continue in the right direction. So anyways, you guys, that's going to do it all for this week's podcast. Um, I've been wanting to kind of do that dirt cost thing for a while now. We've been, we've been talking about it on and off, but uh, I've, I've been saving it for, you know, a day like today where I'm by myself. And so thank you for joining me for that. Hope, uh, hope you enjoyed it. Um, please, if you did, you know what to do download, share, subscribe, all that other good stuff. Get this out to your friends, your family, heck, even get it out to your enemies. Who cares? Just help us get it out there. And yeah, I hope you hope you have a great weekend. Enjoy the racing and I will see you all next week. And until then, as always, take care.